Hear the word of Lord of the Lord from Psalm chapter chapter one, verses one through three. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law. He meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. This is the word of the Lord. And this is from Ephesians 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the very word of God. Pretty special to have Alex and Lori Merwin with us, isn't it? Um, elders and, and beloved members of our family who, um, who went to the dark side and, um, and moved to Michigan. If you're a Big Ten fan, that is the dark side. Um, and, uh, but we are blessed and honored to have you in our midst today. We're also blessed and honored to have Alex, one of our missionaries from uh, up Chicago, to uh, Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, with us, uh, also from a pagan university, um, the Ohio State University. But um, so delightful to have you here, and Marika, to have you uh, with us as well. Um, and we just um, pray God's blessing on you. Uh, would you make yourself available afterwards if people want to touch bases with you? Now, you might be wondering, what is it that brings Alex and Lori all the way from the hinterlands and, and Alex and Marika from, from Ohio? I can't tell you because it is a secret. But um, someone related to Alex... Um, did have a, a birthday yesterday, and uh, and so that we were delighted to have him come down. And and I, I I'm going to just tell you what birthday it is. It's her. It's her, it's her 39th birthday, and so we we do celebrate. Um, uh, obviously we, we have birthdays all the time, and we love all of you. Um, but Carol, uh, as our office manager for I don't know how many years that was, uh, 15 or 16 or more years, and uh, as we saw um, while she was with us, she's just an amazing gift of God to us. Amen? Amen. And so um, we just wish you all the best, and may your next 39 years be as good as the first the 39. <laughs> Please make it a point to uh, touch bases uh, with Alex and hear what God is doing on the Ohio State campus. And if you guys don't know, you have to make your way back today, but... If you could stick around for a couple minutes, give people a chance to love on you, we would just greatly desire to do that. I'm so grateful personally that um, that we dodged a bullet again this morning. It's been a tough winter. The storms have been coming in on Saturday nights and uh, here in Evansville, and 
And so it's been hard for a lot of us to get out and, and um, some of our elderly to risk doing that. And that was a good reason for that, right? Do you, do you follow the Weather Channel videos ever? Do you ever go over there? And, and they've had a couple of, of videos of people testing to see if their driveways were clear, right? And then, boom, they hit their rear end and slide like 40 feet out in the middle of the road down below. And so, so we're mindful that that is, that is a challenge. Um, it's a challenge to even walk in the midst of weather like we've been having. But one thing we've been discovering together over the last weeks is that um, the Apostle Paul understood that there's a much greater challenge for us, and it's not the snow, it's not the ice. Um, the Apostle Paul has been challenging us, or especially these last three weeks in Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, Ephesians 5 today, that it's difficult to walk in this world in which we live right now in a way that will honor God. And, and honestly, many professed believers in Jesus have, have, have succumbed to that temptation to, to walk in, in a manner not worthy of their calling that, that we saw uh, him invite us to do in, in chapter 4, verse 1, but but to walk in a way that will make you um, not feel the persecution of the world around you. And so it's been, it's been challenging for us, hasn't it, to, to go back to the seminal book in the Bible and to hear the words of encouragement from the Apostle Paul to say it's never too late to change the way you walk. It's never too late to turn and return to the Lord and, and walk out of His strength and direction. Let me just summarize for you where we've been over these last uh, weeks. I think we have notes today too. We do. Yeah. He challenged us in verse uh, uh, 1 of chapter 4 to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, right? And in those first 16 verses, He reminded us that He is the one that has called us. He is the one who has gifted us. He is the one who's given us each individual particular passions, particular uh, things that turn our crank or make us weep and pound the table. And, and rather than, rather than um, uh, succumb to the pressure to not express that, he, Paul's been inviting us. No, you are a unique creation of God. And he made you with your gifts, with your passions, with your story. Remember that? expressly because there are people that you will reach with the mercy and love of God because of who you are. Walk, he said. Walk in a manner worthy of this high calling. And then over the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of unpacking little by little what that looks like. And you remember last week, we saw that walking in a manner worthy of the calling means that we're going to walk in holiness, right? And he expressed it in the negative. Do not walk the way the Gentiles do in verses 17 to 32 of Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 4. But walk in holiness and and. And the Apostle Paul helped us clearly understand how there's a tension in the culture around us. There is pressure to live and to walk in ways that aren't honoring God. Now, here's the problem. When, when we don't walk in our identities as followers of Jesus, then other people who are caught and lost in the brokenness of their own lives and in particular sin, they don't see a solution, right? There's no way out for them. 
But even if you suffer for doing what is right, even if you suffer for living out the gospel in the world around you, the very people that, that persecute you are the people who are watching, who are noticing the uniqueness of your life in mercy and grace in Jesus and who will come to you, right? Who will come to you. Maybe like Nicodemus in the middle of the night, but they will come to you and say, tell me, tell me how my story can, can live into God's story. Tell me how I can find grace and mercy, a walk in holiness. Um, the Apostle Paul encouraged us. In, in chapter 5, verse 1, we saw even today that he invites us to walk in love. We'll unpack that briefly today. In the latter uh, portion there, the middle portion, he invites us to walk in light, not in darkness, but in light. And at the end of chapter 5, and really all the way, he gives just an incredibly practical ways that we can walk in wisdom. That we can walk in wisdom. I'd like to go there, if I could, with you today. I know I'm taking it kind of out of order, but... Um, Let's explore these additional encouragements from the Apostle Paul together. The first one I want to touch bases on is this walking in wisdom, right? Here's, here's a radical statement. Let me just hang it out there and, and you push back, okay? The goal of the Christian life is not to gain wisdom, right? Again, that really is the goal of our secular life. I think if over time we can just gain enough wisdom, we will know how to respond in each situation. But that's not true for us as followers of Jesus. I know that sounds radical, right? Here's why. Because as we've studied before, God freely gives wisdom to us. The goal is not to, to find it, to gain it. God has already given it to you. Many of you are holding it, whether through your phone or your Bible in your hand, you are holding that wisdom, the wisdom of God, through His Word in your hands. No, the goal of the Christian life is not to gain wisdom. We already have it. The goal of the Christian life is to know God. Right? And be known by him. Depart from me, he said to quote unquote believers who were doing astounding things in Jesus' name in the Gospel of Luke. Depart from me, he said, for I never knew you, right? I never knew you. And if you haven't been with us when we've unpacked that, that understanding before, the Gospel turns upside down human Wisdom that says if you just get enough knowledge and then work really hard at understanding those pieces of knowledge, putting them together in a certain way, one day you will be wise. The gospel turns that upside down and says, here is wisdom. Trust in it. Believe in it. Even if you don't completely understand it at first. Put your weight down on it. And then, like Proverbs chapter 2, dig for it. Say, God, I have your wisdom right in front of me, but I don't understand it. Help me, God. I seek your face. Help me understand it. Help me, God, to believe it. 
Help me, God, to put it into practice, right? And God, who loves you, we've seen more than you could ever imagine, will grant you the ability to understand what you have already received. To understand the wisdom that's been given to you. And and in his perfect time, will bring you into now, I'm going to use the word first and explain it, the knowledge of God. Not the intellectual assent of who God is or what he has done or what people have said about him, but knowledge not in the sense of, uh, the sense of intellectual assent, but in the a sense of experience of. Experience of. You might um, have had knowledge about how to have a baby before, right? And, and you read all the good books. You knew exactly what you're supposed to do. Um, Boom. Now you've got knowledge of it, right? Now you know. You've entered that fraternity uh, of people, of women, who have experienced childbirth, right? Um, it's different, right? It's different. Uh, Jesus invites you to experience who he is. So the goal of the Christian life is not to gain wisdom. You have it right now. Especially us in this country are so blessed with the ability to have the very wisdom of God in our hands. But the goal is to know God, to experience God, and most importantly, to be known by him. Well, what is this wisdom then, right? What is wisdom? How, how is this Wisdom that we've been handed in a book translated into wisdom in life. For me, I don't know about you, but sometimes, sometimes the, um, the door to understanding something is to look at its opposite, right? To look at its opposite, uh, to come at it backwards. And, 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 and so I wanted to say, what is the opposite of wisdom in the Bible? The opposite of wisdom in the Bible is foolishness. And, and I know, that for many of us, um, the word fool or foolishness is a, is, a, is a fun little word, right? Oh, you fool, right? You know, oh, you fooled me, April Fool's Day, right? But in the Bible, the word is very serious. So serious that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if you call somebody a fool, you are guilty of the fires of hell, right? Wow. So we need to uh, perk up and, and pay attention, right? What is this thing called foolishness? Well, fortunately, God's Word tells us exactly what it is. In Psalm 14, which Paul quotes extensively in the book of Romans and in the book of Ephesians, in Psalm 14, we read this, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, these fools, he's saying. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven and all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. And all have turned away. Romans chapter 3, right? All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Do you understand what foolishness is? Foolishness is to live as if God didn't exist. With ever increasing, almost on a weekly basis, especially in the Western world, 
not true in, in the bulk of the rest of the globe, but in the Western world with ever-increasing frequency, people are checking the box of saying, uh, I do not identify with uh, a faith. I do not um, know, agnostic, I have no knowledge of whether God exists or uh, even stronger, I, I do not believe that God exists. Atheism, right? Atheism. God says that's foolishness. That's foolishness. So if the opposite of wisdom in the Bible is foolishness to live as if God did not exist, what is wisdom then? The wisdom is to live out your life in light of the existence of God. In light of the presence of God, right? Wisdom is to live out your life in, the light, in light of the existence and presence of God. People throughout the ages have, have termed that differently. For a long time, our church fathers understood that in Latin in terms of quorum deo, deo. In other words, the face of God. To live out your life before the face of God. A modern expression of that is somewhat to say, what would Jesus do, right? Jesus is right here, what would he do? But to live our life, quorum Christus, quorum Deo, before the face of Jesus, before the face of God. Still another uh, way that people have understood that, that you might be familiar with is Brother Andrew and, and his dilemma of being assigned to wash dishes in, in the priory, right? And, 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 being ticked off about it and and saying this isn't really why I came to the priory to wash dishes and God met him there and God revealed to him that he was washing dishes for the glory of God, right? And Andrew began to understand that he could practice the presence of God on a daily basis, right? He could live every moment of his life as if God is right there with him, as if, it, as if it was an act of worship to God. And Brother Andrew gave us that wonderful small book, Practicing the Presence of God. Well, wisdom is to live out our lives in light of the existence and even presence of God. But what does walking in wisdom look like? Again, the Word of God brings us incredible insight into what that looks like, right? And, and, and let me just for a second pull from three different sources. You've heard them today to say, first of all, it has to do with where we walk, right? We're not going to unpack it as a whole, but in the middle of Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul challenges us to not walk in darkness, but to walk in light, right? In other words, you have a choice where you walk, where you live out your daily existence, right? And, and, and you can choose whether to walk in darkness or whether to walk in light. And, and even beyond that, you can choose to be light and to shine light into darkness. Now, will people initially receive that? Will they be overjoyed that you're shining light? No. No, they won't. But you have to ask yourself, is it more important? Let me say this differently. I have to ask myself. People pleaser Dave has to ask himself, is it more important to have them like me or is it more important that they understand the will of God, that they understand truth, right? 
You have that opportunity to choose where you walk. Walk. Again, we're not going to unpack that whole passage together, but walk in light and not in darkness, right? It has to do with where you walk, but it also has to do with whom we walk, right? With whom we walk. Many of you have done discipleship triads, and I think it's like the third week of the discipleship triad. You memorize the scripture that Alex read for us today, right? Blessed is the one who does not walk in step or in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, right? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, right? Which yields its fruit in its season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he or she does prospers, right? Wow. Um, The psalmist is setting up the same contrast between wisdom and foolishness, between righteousness and wickedness, right? And saying, be careful with whom. No, no. So do we withdraw from any contact with, not at all. You've dedicated your life to making contact with those who don't believe. Haven't you, Alex? I mean, that's what you're doing right now, seeking those relationships. But you have to be very careful. You have to be very careful as you do that. Who's influencing who? Uh, Eric Dockery, who works with our students on on uh, Wednesday evenings is very fond of an illustration. He says, when you're standing on a chair, um, it's a much easier for someone to bring you down than it is for you to pull someone up, right? And some of you are going, I can't believe he's standing on a pew. Stick with me. You'll see a lot worse than this, believe me. Um, so so um, be very careful. Um, and I think the gentle balance and the wisdom of Scripture is to say, surround yourself with a community and let that community commission you to go to those places where the gospel is not yet, whether it's a person or whether it's a community, to go to the places where the gospel isn't yet, knowing that they have this, these prayer warriors, and they have um, people locking shields with them. They have people um, standing with them and encouraging them as they shine that light into dark places. So be careful where you walk. Be careful with whom you walk. And he gives us, he gives us three extremes. The, the wicked, which that's a judgment word. That is, that is a word that's used at the end of the age to say, will that person be in eternity or not? But then he, he says, you don't, nobody starts out saying, I think I'll be wicked today, right? Nobody does that. Somewhere along the line we say, I'm just going to hang out with, with people who are making choices that I know breaks the heart of God. And still, even before wickedness or even sin is the scoffers, one version of the Bible uses mockers, those people that are just really quick with the tongue to to denigrate the very word of God, to denigrate the people of God. Be careful where you walk. Be careful with whom you walk. But especially today, I love God's word because it's just incredibly practical, right? It's incredibly practical. And, and it also has to do with how we walk, right? How we walk. Now, throughout Scripture, there's amazing testimony. But right here, 
in Ephesians chapter 5, in verses 15 through 21, our core passage, our memory verse. I got a ton of pushback this morning from people saying, what are you thinking? Look at the length of that memory verse. And I apologize, but I did it knowing that many of you have already memorized half of that. How should we walk? Paul gives some many, but let me just highlight a couple of them. Encouragements. Make the most of time. See, the culture says that money is the most valuable possession that you have, right? And, 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 and we certainly want to be good stewards. It's not our money. It's the Lord's money. We want to be good stewards of that. But, but who is it? J. Paul Getty, right? When, when he was near death and they asked him, if you, if you could change anything, what would you do? And J. Paul Getty said, I would, I would have more money, right? Time ran out on J. Paul Getty. Money didn't. He had plenty of it, right? Time is the most precious commodity. This Lord's Day is an incredible gift of God to you. You can choose to spend it however you would. And my great encouragement is to use it as a day of rest, a Sabbath, a a time of being refilled and renewed. And I'm speaking to the choir because you're here, Lord willing to do that. It doesn't end at at 1130, right? um, This is the Lord's day in Hebrew language until 6 p.m. tonight, right? Um, Let him use it. Let him use it for his Glory. Make the most of your time. But then, but then he challenges us back into that, that triplet, right? Of we got, under, we got wisdom, and then we got knowledge and experience of God. He says, dedicate yourself to this thing in the middle. You have the wisdom of God. Dedicate yourself to understanding what God's will is. Now, you can look in Scripture, and you can Google it. I actually did. And, and you'll find five places at least that says this is the will of God. It won't be rocket science to you. It'll be the very things that Paul has been saying. Your sanctification is the will of God, right? Your holiness. It'll be all the things that we've been talking about. You can Google them and find five times where, where God says, this is my will. And those are great places to start. But really, the whole testament of Scripture is is to help you understand what God's will is. And at, at some point, it becomes a point where it's no longer trying to capture something. It's now just dedicating your life to living what you already know to be true. Understand. Understand, if you would, um, the will of God, Paul encourages us. And then he says this, this crazy passage. We've explored it together. So I'm just going to highlight it to you today. And, and if you weren't with us before, I invite you to ask questions or go back into God's Word and let God's Holy Spirit lead you as well. But basically, uh, in the middle of this, he says, surrender control of your life to the Holy Spirit, right? He said that in a, in a crazy way. Do you remember? Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, right? And, and we've unpacked that before and, and recognized that what he was saying was get drunk, just don't use wine, right? It sounds terrible, doesn't it? What does he mean, get drunk? And at some point, you've got to let go of control. We call it the C word around here, right? Anybody have 
trouble with the C word? Um, I do. At some point, he says, you've got to release control of your life. Now, don't release it to alcohol or fill in the blank, right? Um, all the other substances or emotional things that, that would invite themselves to fill that void. No, he says, instead, surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit. Jesus, when he laughed, said, I will send one like me. In other words, I will send the presence of God to you. And, and he will remind you, John 14 and all the way through 17, he will remind you of the things that I have said. He will show you the will of God. Surrender yourself to that Holy Spirit, which is yours through faith in Jesus Christ. How you walk is important. Make the most of the time. Understand what God's will is. Surrender control of your life to the Holy Spirit. And, and here's the kicker. And he used, i got to use it because he uses it. Um, submit. Submit. Submit to God. First of all, and that will enable you to fulfill the rest of it, right? Submit to God, but submit also to one another. This um, 521 is just such an interesting thing because linguistically it's tied both to the entire chapter, uh, balance of the chapter 5, and especially marriage relationships, um, but also all the way through the middle of chapter 6 where it talks about employment relationships. It talks about parental relationships. And, and in that verse... <laughs> The Apostle Paul gives us the secret to walking in a way that honors God. You know it, right? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Every time I'm in a premarital counseling situation, we draw on the board. Some of you can picture it right now in your mind. We draw a man and a woman and I ask, how is it that they can grow closer to one another? And, and the most direct route, of course, is to say, well, they should focus on one another, right? Um, but we've seen that we're broken human beings, and if we're left to our own resources, that will fail all the time, right? But if instead we capture the wisdom of Ephesians chapter 5 and recognize that the way to grow closer to our spouse is to draw near to Jesus... And pray and encourage them to draw near to Jesus, right? Then we will both grow closer to God and grow closer to one another as well. Now translate that, not just to marriage relationships, but translate that to uh, parental relationships. Either, many of us, with our parents, right? Or with our children. But the focus can't be on our children, right? The focus has to be on God and trust that as our children watch us focus on God, they too will draw closer to God. And guess what? We've just drawn closer to one another as well. I pray for my 85-year-old parents um, in Ventura. Um, I pray that they will continue to draw closer to God. Why? Because if they do, they're going to draw closer to me too. That sounded terrible. It sounded like I'm, um, I'm struggling to draw close to God myself but rather than just trying to bridge those 2,400 miles, you know, and somehow spend more time or something, um, I've got to find a way 
to draw closer to God and to invite them as well so that we can experience that. So much fun. It's so much fun for me when, when you come up to me and you share what God is doing in your life and, and, and it had nothing to do with me. It has what God's doing, but it encourages me. It makes me want to draw closer to God, right? And, and, and Lord willing, when I share with you my journey with God, it, I pray that it's an encouragement to you to draw near to Him as well. Because as we do, we will draw closer to one another as well. I don't want you to miss it because I'm going to move on for a second. But, but, but he talks about husband-wife relationships. In the balance of five, he talks about parent relationships. In the beginning of six, he talks about, now he uses the word masters and slaves. But all of us immediately picture American slavery, and, and that wasn't what he had in mind. I think the best, best correlation would be our employee-employer relationships now, your workplace. He gives us very specific ways how we can mutually submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and make our workplaces uh, the temple of God, make our workplaces a sanctuary where God is exalted. So I just invite you to explore all those things. Oh, we stumble over a command to submit. But Paul has already explained to us what mutual submission looks like. And it is beautiful, beloved. It's beautiful. Let's live into that. What is mutual submission? Mutual submission looks a lot like love. So go with me just for a couple more minutes to a previous statement. I took it out of order. But a previous statement of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter um, 5, verses 1 and 2. Right? He invites us to walk in love. Let me just read those two verses for you again. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Start with this understanding that you are beloved of God, right? And walk then in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. He unpacks that in 521 and following when he talks about husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church, right? And how did Christ love the church? He gave up his life for the church, right? That's the secret to this. Your life is held in the palm of God. You don't have to protect it. He will protect it. He invites you to risk it in love for one another. Let me say some really practical things. And he exploits these, exploits, he expounds on these in, in 515 to 21. First of all, start with the way that you see people. Start with the way you see people. You've got to see them, right? Um, you can spend your life, and children are such a good example. Jesus says, you know, uh, unless you come like a child, you can have no part of me. And, and, he, and he used children as the test, if I can borrow you for a second, as a child. You know, when we speak to child, we can choose to speak down to them as authorities, or we can, we can get down to them and, and see them, right, for who they really are. Why does it have to stop when the children grow up? Two words, teenager, right? <laughs> no, um, um, it does stop there, but it doesn't have to. 
right? We can still see them. And any of you who remember, it's getting harder and harder, but any of you remember who your teenagers, you remember how hard that was, right? You're trying to figure out who in the world you are. See them. See the, the Muslim in your workplace for who they really are, right? Someone created in God's image. Someone desperate to know and honor God. See that hard-to-love person for who they really are. See them. And, and put yourself on level with them. And then when God gives you the opportunity, speak to them, right? And Paul says, when you're beginning here, it's really good to speak to them. Did you hear that? It sounds so poetic, you just discounted it. Speak to them in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When you're starting out, use the Word of God, right? And, and, and you can begin as you pray for them. Pray for them using Scripture. But then when then God would allow, don't bomb them with, with Scripture verses ripped, bleeding from context, but, but let the Word of God so permeate you that you're, you express it in verbal form what you might have experienced in written form, right? Speak, speak to them in love. And he takes it even further. He says, sing over them, right? And, and oh, it just escaped me. Oh, Zephaniah, maybe 317, um, we learn that, that God sings over us, right? He sings over us. Um, uh, I know it sounds radical, and I don't recommend that you just go um, to that person you've been trying to reach and start singing at them. Um, but when God, there's something about singing that gets under our, our defenses, isn't it? Have you ever seen one of those flash mob things where maybe in a hotel or, or a mall, all of a sudden one voice begins singing, right? What happens in a flash mob? What happens? All of a sudden over there another voice joins, right? All of a sudden, over there, another voice joins. And all these people who thought they had nothing in common with the people around them find out, yeah, they're created in the image of God too. Their soul longs for that healing touch of God. Do you remember many years ago, we talked about the child who was, was so sick, even sick unto death, and, and the little girl had, a, had a, a brother maybe a year old or maybe three or four years old. And, and the parents didn't want the brother to see the girl um, suffer. Didn't want, so, so they didn't allow the brother to come. And the, and the little baby girl just kept, kept going downhill, right? Do you remember? Do you remember this story? Some of you do. And, and finally... Um, Finally, the nurse really encouraged her to let the little brother in, right? And the little brother comes up to the, to the massive hospital incubator thing and puts his hand on it and starts to sing, You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know Dear, help me. Please, don't, yeah, right. Well, if you remember the story, you remember that, that in the next hours, the, the girl had a tremendous turnaround, right? 
because of love. And maybe because love snuck in under all the things that she was going through because he sang over her. Speak, see, speak, sing. And, and, and we're going to get to submit. We're going to get to submit. Um, but I want to say that the doorway to submission to someone, you say, I just can't do that. I just can't do that, Pastor Dan. I can't submit to my spouse. I can't submit to my employer, right? I can't submit to my parents, right? Um, the, the secret to that, Jesus says, is to serve them. To serve them. Ask for the grace simply to serve them. And, and as you're serving them, guess what? You will see them. You will speak with them. You will, you will um, encounter them on, on a beautiful relationship. And then God will grant you the grace to submit to them out of reverence for Christ. Come on up, worship team, if you would. Um, let me just ask. I know we've been flying 30,000 feet and, and 600 miles an hour today. I do invite you, go back. Go back. If you break out each of those walk-in segments, I think on the, in your notes it has the, where they were, spend one day on each of those. Use the SOAPS method. Use whatever method helps you to get into the Scripture more deeply and, and let God's Word speak to you. But, but let me just ask you this final question. Um, love is hard. Amen? It's, it's not easy. It's not the broad path. It's the narrow one, right? What's, what's our motivation to love? Like the Apostle Paul has been challenging us. What is our motivation? First of all, you are loved by God. God loves you. You don't have to fight. You don't have to scramble. You don't have to to hoard the, the, the moments of love that you experience. God loves you more than you could ever imagine, and that will never stop. That will never stop. You are His precious daughter. You are His precious beloved Son with whom He is well pleased. God loves you. But because He loves you doesn't mean that there won't be mountains. Alex was sharing his experience yesterday with um, on Half Dome. And, and, and I think you said the most challenging physical thing that you've had, uh, physical and emotional and everything. There are mountains in front of us. Amen? There are things that are so large that our minds can't comprehend, right? But God's love is greater than the mountains that you face. God's love is deeper than the mountains that you face. God's love is higher than the mountains that you face. Trust in His love. He loves you. And His love, did you hear it in Mary Ann's reading of 1 Corinthians 13? His love never fails. God's love never fails. Will you say that with me? God's love never fails. Even when everything around you fails, God's love will never fail. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you so much.
for your love for us. Thank you that you expressed it to us in Jesus, becoming flesh and and walking, teaching us how to know you, teaching us how to live, teaching us even how to die and how to trust and believe, God, that one day, even as you raised him from the dead, so you will raise us. Now, my prayer is not for that resurrection day, God. I know that that's been sealed through the blood of Jesus. My prayer is for us right now, God, that we would embrace the love that you have for us, that we would trust in your love, and then, God, that we would offer that love to all those who you would put in our path. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave us a way to be and to know God. God, I pray that we would put our trust in Jesus. And then, God, I pray that filled with the power and love of His Holy Spirit, God, we would face those mountains. We would, we would risk climbing them, God, because we know that You're greater than those mountains that we face. And we love You, God, and invite You to speak to us even now as we close in worship. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.